Section 8 of Under Drake's Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meridiculous. Under Drake's Flag, A Tale of the Spanish Main, by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 7, An Attack in Force. The Negroes were delighted at the success of the conflict, as were the Indians, who soon joined them. But ten of the Spaniards had escaped, the rest having fallen, either in the gorge killed by the rocks, or in the subsequent fight. Ned and Gerald, who were now looked upon as the leaders of the party, told the Negroes to collect the arms of the fallen men, and to give a hasty burial to their bodies. The boys knew too well the savage nature of the war which raged between the black and the white, to ask whether any of the Spaniards were only wounded. They knew that an instant death had awaited all who fell into the hands of their late slaves. Now, Ned said, my friends, you must not suppose that your fighting is over. The Spaniards will take the news back to the town, and it is likely enough that we shall have a large force upon us in the course of a few days. I do not suspect that they will come before that time. Indeed, it may be far longer, but they know that it will require a very large force to search these woods, and that now our blood is up, it will be no trifle to overcome us in our stronghold. If we are to succeed at last, labor, discipline, and courage will all be required. The Negroes now besought the boys formally to take the command, and promised to obey their orders implicitly. Well, Ned said, if you promise this, we will lead you. My friend is older than I, and he shall be captain, and I will be first lieutenant. No, no, Gerald said. This must not be, Ned. I am the oldest, it is true, by a few months, but you are far more active and quick than I, and you have been the leader ever since we left the ship. I certainly will not take the command from you. Well, we will be joint generals, Ned said, laughing, and I do not think that our orders will clash. He then explained to the Negroes and natives the course which he thought that they ought to pursue. First, every point at which the enemy could be harassed should be provided with missiles. In the second place, all signs of footsteps and paths leading to their accustomed dwelling places should be obliterated. Thirdly, they should fight as little as possible, it being their object to fight when pursued and interfered with by small parties of Spaniards, but to avoid conflict with large bodies. Our object, he said, is to live free and unmolested here. And if the Spanish find that when they come in large numbers they cannot overtake us, and that when they come in small ones they are defeated with loss, they will take to leaving us alone. All agreed to this policy, and it was arranged that the women, children, and most feeble of the natives should retire to almost inaccessible hiding places far in the mountains, and that the more active spirits, with the Negroes, and divided into five or six bands, acting to some extent independently of each other, but yet in accordance with a general plan, should remain to oppose the passage of the enemy. This, their first success over the Spaniards, caused a wild exultation among the Negroes and natives, and Ned and Gerald were viewed as heroes. The lads took advantage of their popularity to impress upon the Negroes the necessity of organizing themselves and undergoing certain drill and discipline, Without it, as they told them, although occasionally they might succeed in driving back the Spaniards, yet in the long run they must be defeated. It was only by fighting with regularity, like trained soldiers, that they would make themselves respected by the Spaniards, 
and the latter, instead of viewing them as wild beasts to be hunted, would regard them with respect. The Negroes, fresh from a success gained by irregular means, were at first loath to undertake the trouble and pains which the boys desired. But the latter pointed out that it was not always that the enemy were to be caught napping, and that after such a check as had been put upon them, the Spaniards would be sure to come in greater numbers, and to be far more cautious how they trusted themselves into places where they might be caught in a trap. The weapons thrown away or left upon the ground by the Spaniards were divided among the Negroes, and these and the natives were now formed into companies, natives and Negroes being mixed in each company, so that the latter might animate the former by their example. Four companies of forty men each were formed, and for the next fortnight incessant drill went on, by which time the forest fugitives began to have a fair notion of the rudimentary elements of drill. When the boys were not engaged upon this, in company with one of the native chiefs, they examined the mountains, and at last fixed upon a place which should serve as the last stronghold, should they be driven to bay by the enemy. It was three weeks before there were any signs of the Spaniards. At the end of that time a great smoke, rising from the signal hill, proclaimed that a large body of the enemy were approaching the forest. This was expected, for two days before, three Negro runaways had taken shelter with them. The Negroes had been armed with long pikes of tough wood, sharpened in the fire, and capable of inflicting fully as deadly a wound as those carried by the Spaniards. Each carried a club, the leaders being armed with the swords taken from the Spaniards, while there were also eight arquebuses, which had been gained from the same source. All the natives bore bows and arrows, with which they were able to shoot with great accuracy. The Negroes were not skilled with these weapons, but were more useful from their greater strength for hurling down rocks and missiles upon the Spaniards when below. A consultation had been previously held as to the course to be taken in case of the approach of the enemy. It was determined as far as possible to avoid fighting, to allow the Spaniards to tramp from place to place, and then to harass them by falling upon them in the night, disturbing their sleep, cutting down sentries, and harassing them until they were forced by pure exhaustion to leave the forest. These tactics were admirably adapted to the nature of the contest. The only thing which threatened to render them nugatory was the presence of the fierce dogs of the Spaniards. Preparations had already been made for checking the bloodhounds in pursuit of fugitive slaves. In a narrow place, in one of the valleys at the entrance of the forest, a somewhat heavy gallery had been erected. This was made of wood heaped with great stones and was so arranged that any animal running through it would push aside a stick which acted as a trigger. This would release a lever, and the heavy logs above would fall, crushing to death anything beneath it. A lookout was always placed to intercept any fugitive slaves who might enter the forest, and to guide them through this trap, which was of course not set until after they had passed. This had been done in the case of the two negroes who had arrived the previous day, and the boys felt that any pursuit of them by bloodhounds would at once be cut short, and the Spaniards left to their own devices. This anticipation proved correct. The scouts reported that they could hear in the distance the baying of dogs, and that undoubtedly the enemy were proceeding on the track of the slaves. The four companies were each told off to positions considerably apart from each other, while Ned and Gerald, with the cacique or chief of the Indians, one Negro and four or five fleet-footed young men, remained to watch the success of the trap. This was all that they had hoped. The Spaniards were seen coming up the glade, a troop two hundred strong. 
The leaders were on horseback, some fifteen in number, and after them marched the pikemen in steady array, having men moving at a distance on each flank to prevent surprise. This, said Ned, is a regular military enterprise. This last was a mere pursuing party gathered at random. It will not be so easy to deal with cautious men like these. Three hounds ran ahead of their leaders, with their noses on the ground, giving now and then the deep bay peculiar to their kind. They reached the trap and rushed into the gallery, which was some twelve feet in length, and of sufficient height to enable a man on foot to march through. The leaders, on seeing the trap, drew in their horses, in doubt what this structure could mean, and shouted to the hounds to stop, but the latter, having the scent strong in their nostrils, ran on without pausing. As the last hound disappeared in the gallery, a crash was heard, and the whole erection collapsed, crushing the hounds beneath it. A cry of consternation and surprise burst from the Spaniards. The artifice was a new one, and showed that the fugitives were assisted by men with intellect far in advance of their own. The pursuit was summarily checked, for the guides of the Spaniards were now gone. The enemy paused, and a consultation took place among the leaders. It was apparently determined to pursue their way alone, taking every precaution, in hopes that the natives would attack them as they had done in the previous expedition, when they hoped to inflict a decisive blow upon them. That they would themselves be able to find the runaway negroes in the forest, they had but small hope, but they thought it possible that these would again take the initiative. First under the guide of one who had evidently been in the last expedition, they took their way to the valley where the fight had taken place. Here all was still. There were no signs of their foes. They found in the gorge a great cairn of stones with a wooden cross placed over it, and the words in Spanish cut upon it. Here lie the bodies of ten Spaniards who sought to attack harmless men in these woods. Let their fate be a lesson to those who may follow their example. This inscription caused great surprise among the Spaniards, who gathered round the mound and conversed earnestly upon it. Looking round at the deep and silent woods, which might, for aught they knew, contain foes who had proved themselves formidable. It was evident that the soldiers, brave as they were, yet felt misgivings as to the task upon which they had entered. They knew that two Englishmen, a portion of the body which, under Drake, had rendered themselves so feared, were leaders of these men, and so great was the respect in which the English were at that time held that this alone vastly added to the difficulties and dangers which the Spaniards saw awaiting them. However, after a few minutes' consultation, the party moved forward. It was now formed in two bodies, about equally strong, one going a quarter of a mile ahead, the other following it. What have these men divided their forces for? The Negro asked Ned. It seems to me, he answered, that they hope we shall fall upon the first body, thinking that there are no more behind and that the others coming up in the midst of the fight will take us by surprise. However, we will let them march. Send word to the company which lies somewhat in the line in which they have taken of their approach, and let them at once retire. Tell them to make circuits in the hills, but to leave behind them sufficient traces for the Spaniards to follow. This will encourage them to keep on, and by nightfall they will be thoroughly tired out. Whenever they get in valleys or other places where advantage may be taken of them, two of the companies shall accompany them at a good distance on their flanks and pour in volleys of arrows or roll stones down upon them. I will take command of one of these companies, Gerald of the other. Do you, he said to the negro, follow with the last. Keep out of their reach, but occasionally, after they have passed, fire arrows among the rear guard. Do you, cacique, make your way to the leading column. See that they choose the most difficult gorges, and give as far as possible the appearance of hurry to their flight, 
so as to encourage the Spaniards to follow. These tactics were faithfully carried out. All day the Spaniards followed, as they believed, close upon the footsteps of the flying foe. But from time to time, from strong advantage spots, arrows were rained upon them, great rocks thundered down, and wild yells rang through the forest. Before, however, they could ascend the slopes and get hand-to-hand -hand with their enemy, these had retreated, and all was silent as the grave in the woods. Perplexed, harassed, and somewhat awestruck by these new and inexplicable tactics, and having lost many men by the arrows and stones of the enemy, the two troops gathered at nightfall in an open glade. Here a bivouac was formed, branches of the trees cut down, and the provisions which each had brought with him produced. A rivulet ran through the glade, and the weary troops were soon lying on the grass, a strong line of sentries having been placed round. Already the appearance of the troop was greatly changed from that of the body which had entered the wood. Then all were eager for the fray, confident in the extreme of their power to crush with ease these unarmed negroes and natives, who had hitherto, except on the last occasion, fled like hunted deer at their approach. Now, however, this feeling was checked. They had learned that the enemy were well commanded and prepared, and that so far, while they themselves had lost several men, not a native had been so much as seen by them. At nightfall the air became alive with mysterious noises, cries as of animals, occasionally Indian whoops, shouts from one voice to another were heard all around. The Spaniards stood to their arms and gazed anxiously into the darkness. Soon the shouts of the sentries told that flights of arrows were being discharged at them by invisible foes. Volley after volley were fired from the musketoons and arquebuses into the wood. These were answered by bursts of taunting laughter and mocking yells while the rain of arrows continued. The Spanish troops, whose position and figures could be seen by the blaze of the lighted fires, while a dense darkness reigned within the forest, began to suffer severely from the arrows of these unseen foes. Bodies fifty strong advanced into the dark forest to search out their enemies, but they searched in vain. The Indians, better accustomed to the darkness and knowing the forest well, easily retreated as they advanced and the Spaniards dared not venture far from their fires, for they feared being lost in the forest. The officer commanding, an old and experienced soldier, soon ceased these useless sorties. Calling his men into the center of the glade, he ordered them to stand in readiness to repel an assault, extinguished every fire, and allowed half the troop at once to lie down, to endeavor to snatch some sleep. This, however, was impossible, for although the Indians did not venture upon an attack, the chorus of shouts and yells was so terrible and continuous, and the flights of arrows at times fell so fast that not one of the troop ventured to close an eye. From time to time volleys were fired into the darkness, and once or twice a loud cry told that some at least of the balls had taken effect, but the opponents, sheltered each behind the trunk of a tree, suffered comparatively slightly, while many of the Spaniards were struck by their missiles. Morning dawned upon a worn-out and dispirited band, but with daylight their hopes revived. Vigorous sorties were made into the wood, and though these discovered in a few places marks of blood where some of their enemies had fallen, and signs of a party being carried away, the woods were now as deserted as they had appeared to be on the previous evening, when they first halted. There was a consultation among the leaders, and it was determined to abandon the pursuit of these invisible foes, as it was agreed that nothing short of a great effort by the whole available force of the island would be sufficient to cope with a foe whose tactics were so bewildering and formidable. Upon their march out from the wood, the troop was pursued with the same persistence with which it had been dogged on the preceding day, and when at length it emerged, and the captain counted the numbers of his men, 
it was found that there were no less than thirty wounded and that twenty had been left behind dead the dwellers of the wood were overjoyed with their success and felt that a new existence had opened before them hitherto they had been fugitives only and no thought of resistance to the spaniards had ever entered their minds they felt now that so long as they remained in the woods and maintained their drill and discipline and persisted in the tactics which they had adopted they could defy the spaniards unless indeed the latter came in overwhelming strength some time elapsed before any fresh effort was made by the spaniards the affair caused intense excitement in the city and it is difficult to say whether alarm or rage most predominated it was felt that a great effort must be made to crush the men of the forest for unless this were done a vast number of the negro slaves would escape and join them and the movement would become more formidable every day upon the part of those in the forest great consultations took place some of the negroes were for sending messages to the slaves to rise and join them but ned and gerald strongly opposed this course there were as they pointed out no means whatever in the forest for supporting a larger body of men than those gathered there the tree-clad hills which constituted their stronghold were some thirty miles in diameter and the supply of fruits of roots and of birds were sufficient for their wants but it would be very different if their numbers largely increased then they would be forced to make raids upon the cultivated ground beyond and here however strong they would be no match for the spaniards whose superior arms and discipline would be certain to give them victory the indians strongly supported the reasoning of the boys and the negroes when they fully understood the difficulties which would arise finally acquiesced in their arguments schemes were broached for making sallies from the forest at night and falling upon the plantations of the spaniards this offered greater chances of success but the boys foresaw that all sorts of atrocities would be sure to take place and that no quarter would be given to spaniards of either age or sex they therefore combated vigorously this proposal also they pointed out that so long as they remained quiet in the forest and were not joined by large numbers of fugitive negroes the spaniards might be content to let them remain unmolested but upon the contrary were they to adopt offensive tactics not only would every spaniard in the island take up arms against them but if necessary they would send for help to the neighboring islands and would assemble a force sufficient thoroughly to search the woods and to annihilate them the only case in which the boys considered that an attack upon the spaniards would be lawful would be in the event of fresh expeditions being organized in that case they were of opinion that it would be useful to destroy one or two large mansions and plantations as near as possible to the town sending at the same time a message to the spaniards that if they persisted in disturbing them in the forest a similar fate would befall every spanish plantation situated beyond the town it was not long before these tactics were called into play one of the negroes had as was their custom gone down to the town to purchase such articles as were indispensable upon these occasions as usual he went down to the hut of the old woman who acted as their intermediary and remained concealed there during the day while she went into the town to buy cotton for dresses and other things this she could only do in small quantities at a time using various shops for the purpose returning each time with her parcel to the hut the suspicion of the spaniards had however been aroused and orders had been given to watch her closely the consequence was that after purchasing a few articles she was followed and a band of soldiers surrounded the hut after she had entered the fugitive was there found concealed and he and the old woman were at once fastened in the hut this was then set alight and they were both burned to death upon the spot when the news reached the mountains ned at once determined upon a reprisal the negroes and natives were alike ready to follow him 
and the next night the whole party, a hundred and fifty strong, marched down from the forest. The object of their attack was a handsome palace, belonging to the military governor of the island, situated at a short distance from the town. Passing through the cultivated country, noiselessly and without detection, they reached the mansion and surrounded it. There were here a guard of some thirty soldiers, and sentries were placed at the entrance. At the signal given by the blowing of a conch shell, the attack commenced on all sides. The sentries were at once shot down, and the negroes and their allies speedily penetrated into the building. The Spanish guard fought with great bravery, but they were overpowered by the infuriated negroes. Yells, shrieks, and shouts of all kinds resounded through the palace. Before starting on their adventure, Ned and Gerald had exacted a solemn oath from each of the men who were to take part in it, that on no account would he lift his hand against a defenseless person, and also that he spare everybody who surrendered. The Negroes were greatly loath to take this promise, and had Ned urged them to do so purely for the sake of humanity, the oath would unquestionably have been refused, for in those days of savage warfare there was little or no mercy shown on either side. It was only on the ground of expediency, and the extreme necessity of not irritating the Spaniards beyond a certain point, that he succeeded in obtaining their promise. In the principal room of the palace they found the governor himself. His sword was in his hand, and he was prepared to defend his life to the last. The boys, however, rushed forward, and cried to him to throw his sword down, as the only plan by which his life could be saved. The brave officer refused, answering by a vigorous thrust. In a moment the two lads had sprung upon him, one from each side, and wrested his sword from his hand. The negroes, with yells of triumph, were rushing upon him with drawn swords but the boys sternly motioned them back, keeping well in front of their prisoner. You have sworn, they said, and the first man who breaks his oath we will shoot through the head. Then, turning to the governor, they said, Sir, you see what these men, whom you have so long hunted as wild beasts, can do. Take warning from this, and let all in the town know the determination to which we have arrived. If we are let alone, we will let others alone. We promise that no serious depredations of any kind shall be performed by any of our party in the forest. But if we are molested, or if any of our band who may fall into your hands are ill-treated, we swear that for each drop of blood slain, we will ravage a plantation and destroy a house. On this occasion, as you see, the Negroes have abstained from shedding blood, but our influence over them may not avail in future. Now that you see that we too can attack, you may think fit to leave us alone. In case of serious interference with us, we will lay waste the land up to the houses of the city and destroy every plantation and hacienda. Then they hurried the governor to a back entrance, gave him his sword again, and having seen him in safety, fairly beyond the reach of any of their party who might be wandering about, dismissed him. Returning to the palace, they had to exert themselves to the utmost to prevail on the negroes to spare all who were there. Indeed, one man who refused to obey Ned's orders and to lower his club he shot down at once. This vigorous act excited, for a moment, yells of indignation among the rest, but the firm bearing of the two young Englishmen, and the knowledge that they were acting as they themselves had given them leave to act, should any of the party break their oaths, subdued them into silence. The palace was now stripped of all portable and useful articles. Ned would not permit anything to be carried away of a merely ornamental or valuable character, but only such as kitchen utensils, crockery stoves, arms, hangings, and articles of a description that would be useful to them in their wild life in the forest. The quantity of arms taken was considerable, as, in addition to those belonging to the guard, 
there were a considerable number piled in the armory in readiness for any occasion when they might be required when all that could be useful to them was removed lights were applied to the hangings and wooden lattice-work and before they retired they saw the flames take sufficient possession of the building to ensure its destruction many of the negroes had at first laden themselves with wine but this ned peremptorily refused to allow them to carry away he knew that it was of the most supreme necessity that good fellowship and amity should run between the members of the bands and that were wine to be introduced quarrels might arise which would in the end prove fatal to all he allowed however sufficient to be taken away to furnish a reasonable share for each man at the feast which it was only natural they would wish to hold in commemoration of their victory end of chapter seven